You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole, the 602 Club, and I'm just one of your hosts, Matthew Rushing, and I'm so excited to have with me this week the one and only... Wait. You look a little different today, like a little, I don't know, everlasting or uh, ever-existent or, I don't know, maybe eternal or something? I don't know. Chrissy, you're looking radiant. Maybe it's my eyes rolling back in my head. Oh, that's what that is. Mm, okay. Well, you know what's really exciting, though, Chrissy, is that we have one of your really good friends here. So I'm going to allow you just to introduce them because I think that would be cool. Yeah, actually, we have a celebrity among us tonight. Uh, you may know her from my other show, Savers and Spells, but we've got Amanda, now newly Pfeiffer, with us today. Hello, everyone. Wow, yeah, Pfeiffer. That whole name switch thing is really weird. You're like, who am I? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what? What was that name? <laughs> and you are. Oh, oh, I... that's me. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, I don't. As a guy, I don't have that problem. I don't have to change my name. So, yeah, you could. Way to rub it in. I know. I mean, I guess I could have. <laughs> but, you know. uh, well, we're very excited to have you here you know and obviously have we've heard tons about you as christy has mentioned you know sabers and spells and so we're we're really glad that you're going to be joining us to talk about marvel's the eternals and actually it's not even the eternals it's just marvel's eternals Mm -hmm. so they cut out the definite article so these aren't definitely the eternals they're just Eternals. And so, uh, but before we get uh, going with the show, of course, remember you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do give us a star rating review, help people find the show. Uh, And if you give us a review, we'll definitely read that review out on the show just to say thank you. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter at the 602 Club. We're also on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. Of course, hey, you know, you can find us on Letterboxd, too, the 602 Club's on Letterboxd, so if you want to keep track of everything that we're doing here on the show, we've even got some great lists going on for the different bonus shows we've got. You can find that there on Letterboxd under the 602 Club. You can find the entire network online at Trek.fm, and of course, you can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek.fm, and maybe... Maybe you'd like to enjoy talking to listeners from all over the world for the network. You can do that on our listeners-only discussion group called the Babel Conference there on Facebook. Just type that in, and you'll be able to find it. And got to say a huge thank you. We've got some great associate producers here through Patreon. Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millette, and Daniel Noah. Do want to say thank you for supporting the network. It's really important because we can't make this network happen without you. So if you like what we do here, we encourage you to go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team Uh, In the end, every little bit helps, and if you want to make sure that all the shows that we're doing here keep happening and we can continue to bring you more shows, go to patreon.com slash trekfm. So, 
I wanted to ask you guys this before we even get into anything else, because um, it's always interesting. You know, we see these trailers and like, you know, you're either excited or you're not excited or whatever. So I'm just kind of wondering, kind of coming into Eternals, what your history with the Eternals are. Did you know anything about the Eternals or was just this one of those things where you like, I saw the trailer and it was like a Marvel movie. So I decided to go. Yeah, uh, I knew nothing about the Eternals at all until I saw the previews for this movie. <laughs> Amanda? <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I went in totally blind and I also going in tried to um, not take the Avengers franchise with me into it because I wanted it to be kind of a blank slate. That's what it read like um, when I saw the trailer. So yeah, it, it was a totally new thing for me i'm i mean i'm right there with you both i mean i am on record i don't know as much about marvel comics as i do dc comics and so i've never read anything for the eternals i mean i know it's created by jack kirby and so which is very familiar in the sense that you know he also created the fourth world for dc so in many ways the eternals kind of has almost like that kind of feel like it's very you know space driven it's it's out there it's uh creation myth based you know mm-hmm. it's like it's 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 very big uh in, in the same way that a lot of what he did for like new genesis and apocalypse uh for dc also very much like that as well so i kind of just that's the only knowledge i came up with just kind of expecting this to kind of feel something like that Otherwise, I mean, all I had to go on was the trailers and, you know, Christy, we, you and I had talked about this, I think, when we talked about, uh, you know, Shang-Chi, but, like, I didn't really know anything about that character and what I got from the trailer, I would say, for this, The Eternals, I mean, it didn't really, like, blow my hair back or, like, super excite me, so I kind of came in this just by, like, okay, movie, like, do your thing like you, you know either impress me or not it's it, it, i like you in in many ways amanda i just feel like kind of come in as a blank slate so that you can write whatever you want to write all over my heart and it's either going to stick or it's going to be like eh. so you know which is not necessarily a bad place to be with a movie yeah i th- i think it's definitely that feeling of we're starting from square one all over again And we all knew that, you know, coming into phase four of the MCU movies, Um, but it's still a totally strange place to be, I think, for all of us, because if you went along for the ride watching all the last phase Marvel films, those were characters like we had all kind of heard of in culture and popular culture for years and years and years ago, uh, you know, like Spider-Man is a famous character, even if you had never seen the movies. So these characters, I mean, no one has ever heard of unless you have read those comics, which are pretty new. So it, it's just a weird place to be in, but kind of interesting to see where they go with it because it's like uncharted territory. Yeah, I felt that way too. It was a lot of, at least the way I took it, was a lot of stage setting and a lot of like heavy information, super dense, like this is who these people are. Um, So it it was definitely different getting to know a whole new cast of characters. Uh, What did you think, Matt? Yeah, no, that's a really good way of putting it, Amanda. And the denseness, I mean, obviously, too, uh, you know, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but, you know, this movie is introducing 
a whole new cast of characters. And when we say cast, we literally mean like 10 people that they cut down from actually being 12 casts of characters. Like they were 12 when they first created the script. So imagine having two more people you were trying to introduce. I, I mean, you know, and that's really difficult to do. I mean, you know, John and I on a Assembling Avengers have just been talking about phase one and we got to Avengers and you had those characters that had all had their own movies. The only ones who hadn't had been Black Widow and Hawkeye. The rest of the characters had all been set up in their own film, you know, to give you a time. And and so this is like something that Marvel, I, I don't think has really tried to do in any way, shape or form. The closest you come, I think is guardians of the galaxy where you introduced that whole crew in one film. But you know, I think that's one of the reasons that something that, you know, we did have here to talk about is this movie starts with an opening crawl, much like Star Wars does, um, and to kind of try and give you some background about what we're jumping into, especially if you've never read the comics. And so I wanted to ask both of you how that works for you, or if you would have maybe rather have seen them basically do the prologue like you got in Lord of the Rings with Fellowship of the Rings specifically like uh, because I'm I don't know I'm torn so what did you guys think I definitely think and that's not to hate on the decision that the director made I can see why she made the choice that she did I think I would have preferred a prologue like you know a visual montage with a voiceover of these characters and their story and everything prior to where we see them now, I think that would have been a little more digestible for me, mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm, I'm on the same page as you, Amanda. Cause I, I feel like this is a stuff that we have no familiarity with at all. And then you're having all of these names thrown at you and trying to read it fast enough <laughs> as well as figure out, you know, remind yourself who is who here um, you are still kind of confused, even though you've just read that whole opening crawl. Um, yeah. In this case, I didn't feel like the opening crawl worked as well. No. And can I just say, it was really small writing. Yes. Hey, I think you're right. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so that was, that was, yeah, I, I'm, I think we're on the same page, Christy, um, as far as that goes. And you said you're on the fence, Matt? Well, you know, because... Like, I I think what you said, Amanda, was I, I really liked how you put it, where you're like, you can understand why the director made the choice. And part of that is this is already a super long Marvel movie. This is the longest Marvel movie there's ever been. And uh, so if you add even three or four more minutes to do an opening montage, I mean, you could probably do this in, in, in a good minute and a half, you know, like you said with a voiceover and, you know, again, just a montage that you could do that probably relatively quickly. And I think the benefit of doing it that way um, is that, like you said, Christy, you put uh, a face to the name. So when you when you say celestial, you know, you have a face that goes with it. When you say, um, you know, deviance, you have a face that goes with it. You know, when you say eternals, you have immediate faces that go with them. Um, I think, you know, I, because I w obviously was comparing this to Star Wars, that's the most famous movie with an opening crawl. And I think one of the things that makes Star Wars work, 
as an opening crawl is that the language that they're using, regardless of the name like Darth Vader, otherwise you understand words like empire and rebellion. Like none of these things are unnatural for us to understand, whereas you're making things up like before the dawn, before the six singularities at the dawn of creation came the celestials. Right. And you're and like, Arsham, what the heck and you're like, is a singularity? Exactly. You're like, <laughs> I don't even know what those that means. Like six singularities. OK, uh, great. So, like, I do think that that's a that's a, a place where I, I feel like they did. I personally believe they did make the wrong choice. You know, the movie's already long. Spend an, a minute and a half to create the prologue that allows us to be have visual representation. And Christy, we always say, show, don't mm-hmm. tell. And this is a place where I think you really could have shown instead of told us, uh, and it would have worked better. And, like, it wasn't like it was a cool crawl, like Star Wars with cool music or anything. It was just kind of like this, like, words scrolling up on the computer screen like i i don't know it there wasn't anything like visually interesting about it either and like you said amanda absolutely the writing there it wasn't like in big bold letters that like you know like i i think of i have terrible eyesight anyway and so i wear glasses or contacts and i can't imagine like somebody who maybe forgot their glasses and was really screwed. And they're just like, oh, well, I guess I'll pick it up later. Well, and I did go right after work and I was at the salon and we are masking currently at our salon and my glasses don't fit on my face with my mask. So I had no glasses for this film. Uh, Wow. So you were exhibit A, what Matt just said. (laughs) I was exhibit A and I'm like, a what? (laughs) Wait, Eric, what's that word? Shh, babe, shh. But I can't see. Can you read it to me really quietly? (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing that might have been cool, too, is like, what if since they have the prime eternal played by Sama Hayek, what if it was like a um, sort of a montage a little bit slower and it was coming from her point of view as the voiceover? That would have been cool. I would have loved that, honestly, because I feel like we could have really had some more connectivity, mm-hmm. both with her character and with what she started. Right. Because she's the one that causes everything to turn on its head. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that's an absolutely great point. Uh, and I think you nailed it, Amanda, in the sense that we'll talk about it. But I mean, I think she's one of the characters who gets very little to do in the movie which is strange because you cast Selma Hayek and then she like barely does anything <laughs> and so like to make her basically the storyteller for you I think is a excellent choice and one of the things that I I'm really interested to get both of your takes on was that this movie has obviously been touted by Kevin Feige as being like giving us the beginning of the Marvel universe. And so by doing that, we've created a creation myth for Marvel and comics have had this, you know, I mean, I Marvel comics has their creation myth for it. DC has its, um, but I wanted to ask you, 
how does this work for you? Because, Amanda, I know you said you tried to come in without the Avengers as, you know, in your mind. And yet this is in the same universe. It's, I mean, we're trying to connect this to the Marvel Universe. It's this, the MCU. So, like, it's it's all the same thing. And I'm guessing they're going to hope to try and use these characters in other Marvel adventures, reg- regardless of whether or not they have, you know, Eternals 2, that these characters show up again for important reasons. Um, so how does it work for you guys to try and create this creation myth now after 20 some odd films um i feel a little funny about it in general i like the movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah because you know they come in telling this creation myth and and then they spit you out after everything has happened with the avengers and the snap literally they spit you out there when dane is speaking about it with the class. And it, it was a little different. It was a little, I, I wasn't quite sure how to feel about those two worlds blending because they also seemed so different as far as what they were trying to do with this creation myth and with Eternals and then what we already have had happen. Mm-hmm. So. I, I'm still open to what's going to happen next, I think. Yeah, I, I can see feeling that way. I, I think that um, the biggest reason that it felt strange to me was that everything with the Marvel movies to this point has been all about starting with the people even if it was based out in space with like guardians of the galaxy, it was told from their individual internal and external point of view and then expanded from there. And so I think that the problem that I have here with the, the creation myth in general is just that it starts big and then tries to work its way down to the individual level. And for me, that just didn't work as well as if they had started telling it from the point of view of the Eternals. Yeah, I think it felt a little grand and slightly impersonal. Right. And then they wanted you to care about these people immediately. Right. Mm. So we're already starting and over, wow. and then they start too big in scope, and you're going, "I what? <laughs> they bewilder you and dazzle you, and then they give you people that you don't really care about yet, and they're like, but you gotta care. Yeah. Here's That's like a, a, a little point. emotional cracker. <laughs> emotional <laughs> cracker. Yeah. It's, like, it's a really weird communion service. <laughs> like, it's a little emotional cracker. Um, you know, uh, without really caring about the gods we're supposed to be worshiping. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I... I think that's I think you both have made some really, really good points. And I think both of you have kind of nailed a lot of the sides where I came down as well, where I was really taken out of the film because I, and Christy, you said, you know, how the Marvel universe has really been grounded in its human characters. Mm-hmm. Like in the in mythology of the MCU has been based off of starting here and and in many ways having very human characters in general like tony stark we start off the marvel universe with like a womanizing 
jerk, right? You know, mm-hmm. like so. I think we 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 start with the kind of the most basest, flawless, you know, like flawed characters we can have, and we move on from there. And you know, even as we move forward, and you know, you meet somebody like Captain America, who's you know morally righteous. It's still this struggle throughout the MCU because we're trying to um, find our way in a world that's completely amoral by the time Cap is in our world, you know. And so I found it really interesting because just to compare, like, because there's no other place to go, you know, the DC Universe is, is gods among men from the start. Um, you know, Superman is God among men, you know, especially with the way you started it, um, Man of Steel. Woman or Woman is the same way, you know. All of these characters are more godlike in their abilities anyway, whereas the MCU has always started with flawed humanity. Even with Thor, you know, um, he is a character to which, instead of going with his backstory that he's literally the god, he is instead comes from a you know a race of beings that uh, humans seem godlike, but they're not gods. They're just aliens who happen to be advanced technologically, and to humans at that point, it looked like magic. And so, like we've we've taken away all of the godhood for characters, and now we're trying to like insert gods basically into this universe. And I I, I think one I'm. I don't know if the Marvel Universe we've created on screen actually has the bandwidth to support gods, especially when they're as terrible of gods as they are in this universe. Like, these are these are crummy gods. <laughs> um, and, like, you know, Arsham is, like... And and they're and the thing is is that like they're not really even gods. They're just these characters who have more power than other characters. And so, like, um, yeah, I I f- think that ultimately what you said, Amanda, was is that this seems so remote and far out there. And it, in many ways, I think it was so far removed from the humanity that they're supposedly trying to save. That I didn't really care, you know, like, um, which is kind of strange. Like, they're trying to save the world, and, like, this doesn't feel connected enough to the MCU for me to really care. Um, And I don't really even care about the human beings on the planet because, like, it, it all feels removed from them because these aren't even human beings. They're Eternals, which are, like, fancy robots, you know. Um, And I don't know. Like, the the whole thing, it just felt like... I don't know. It just doesn't work the way that they need it to for the story to really coalesce with everything that's come before. Yeah. I think that at points it felt kind of clinical with how much they were trying to give us all at once information wise. And that comes back to it was super dense mm-hmm. um, with a lot of things being thrown our way that were totally out of the realm of anything that we've encountered before in the MCU and like new words and new names and like bunch of new people and beings and they they did leave out that human heartbeat I think a little too much um for my taste personally and the only human connection that you initially get in the film is Dane which hey oh Kit Harrington love him um <laughs> but 
the movie is supposed to come to this head where everyone, all of the Eternals need to prove that humanity itself is worth saving, but we don't see any of the humanity that they're supposed to be so in love with. And that's why they're fighting this fight. So it, it doesn't give you again, the heartbeat, the reason to fight. And you're just kind of like, well, I don't really know about any of these humans of earth because it doesn't feel like the Avengers. I mean, we've heard them name dropped, but it's not like they're a presence in this film to any real tangible extent. And then like you remove all the human element from it besides like one dude and then expect us to care. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't happen for me at points with all the information I was absorbing slowly. Yeah. No, I think the one scene for me, there were two scenes, but one character that was its saving grace in that aspect was with Fastos and with his family, their son, with his um, scene where he confides in Ajak about um, Hiroshima. Those two moments to me were the most emotionally moving moments of the entire movie and the rest of the time, mm-hmm. I felt exactly like you're saying, Amanda, where it felt like, what is it about humanity that you love so much? Because it feels like there's just not yeah. much here. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he wasn't even the centerpiece of it. Mm-hmm. They were trying to make Cersei the centerpiece of this whole thing, but mm-hmm. they didn't really give much of her interpersonal relationships besides her Icarus drama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, who cares? He was a sucky boyfriend. And then Move she on. just goes right um, back to him. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and and I, I so on, on top of that, Christy, I'll mention. I think to me, the only place that I really saw humanity, and especially when it came in with the, uh, the, you know, actual Eternals characters, was the characters who I thought who had the most humanity were Gilgamesh and Thena, because they were the heartbeat of this story of like two people who truly were living out what it meant to be the best of humanity, which is to love each other beyond all reason when it is the most difficult to actually love somebody. And when you might not even like be getting something back, like personally, I read it that Gilgamesh and Thena have never actually consummated their relationship that he's just spent his entire existence taking care of her Mm -hmm. and he's loved her forever but that he would never take advantage of her. And so in that, you uh, to me, that's the reading. I, I, I mean, it could be different for other people, but to me, there was such heart there. And yet, again, that wasn't the focal point of the film. And, you know, I think we can talk about it then, you know, having 10 characters to try and introduce as a team in this is so difficult And you don't get a chance to, even in the running time, to spend enough time with any one of them to really, I think, feel anything. And then again, the ones that I felt the most for, it's like, well, then, you know, he's gone and then she's the only one left. And it's like that emotional resonance is is done for me at that point, you know, and no, I I don't really care about Cersei and like you said, her Icarus drama. And Mm -hmm. it's like. Uh, it it felt like a really bad nine oh two and episode or something, you know, um, and yeah, I mean, well, it 
it's just too much. And I had a question for both yeah. of you also. Uh, did you catch that we had Richard Madden, who played Rob Stark, Kit Harrington, mm-hmm. who played Jon Snow, also a Stark, though, uh-huh. and a character named Cersei? And yes, and, my wife and, said that too. And the composer of the film was Ramin Jawadi, who did the entire score for Game of Thrones. Uh, yep. Which better scores there, but we'll. But do. yeah, I, I think yeah. the combination of all four of those in one movie was a mistake. Yeah, it took me out a little bit because I'm like, oh, it's Rob Stark. Oh, it's Jon Snow. Oh, why is Rob Stark making out with Cersei? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, exactly. Didn't he be one to kill yeah. her? That's creepy. So anyway, <laughs> that didn't help things for me either. Yeah, well, and and then when I was, I mean, you know, you have some interesting things in there. Like I think, like the character of Druig is really interesting in the sense of like thematically, he's a character who, in many ways, is basically a bad version, another bad God where he's like trying to force people into doing what he thinks they should do instead of giving them free will and a choice, which we'll talk about that later. But it's just like, there's all these things happening and it's like, there's a lot of stuff going on, but none of it can really stick because you don't get enough time to really like make it the center. And it's like any one of these, well, not any one of these characters, but there are some of these characters to which you could create an entire movie around. And otherwise, the others are just kind of like window dressing or they're there for different, you know, interesting reasons every five, you know, 45 minutes. But there are some really interesting stories here that could really help you move forward. And then you just, yeah, you're just lost for time. Yep. And I think another one of those characters that just kind of got dusted was Sprite, which I was bummed about, like watching the trailer and everything. And even when some of the merch started coming out, I was like, that's kind of a cool looking character. I'm I'm intrigued. And then it was like, she hardly really did anything except snivel and make a mess at the end. Yeah. And, it, you know, did you also both feel the same way I did as um, when they have Kingo bring up that Sprite is in love with Icarus? It just felt unearned is the best word Forced. I've got. Yeah. Like they if they have to tell you that's what she's feeling and that's why she's being a brat, they're not doing their Thank job. You. I mean, I got that that's what it was before they said anything. Yeah. But I honestly I found it creepy for reasons that I don't really want to discuss here, but just it, it just yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't I get what they're going for story-wise, yeah. but I think that there's too many implications there of younger people and mm-hmm. older people mm-hmm. that just lines shouldn't be crossed. Doesn't into... need to be in there. Exactly. And I just think it's a little bit too much. Um, and I, I get it be- in the sense of like thematically it goes with like, why did the, you know, why did Arsham create her like that? And like, you know, especially when she can never grow up and all, you know, again, it's interesting questions, but because there's no time to like flesh any of that out, it just kind of comes off. Is this like really creepy, like relationship that I'm not necessarily super comfortable with Mm -hmm. because we don't have time to actually give it any time. 
I mean, Mm -hmm. as Deanna Troy would say in Star Trek First Contact, we don't have time to argue about time because we just don't have the time. (laughs) And that's kind of what we get in this movie, um, which is disappointing. So. I was curious, too, as a, a side note, um, how you both felt about the names of the characters, which I assumed came straight from the comics, but, um, but many of them being from either Greek or Roman mythology, I thought was kind of a cool thing to add to this because it also informs you up front maybe about some of their character traits. Yeah, I thought that that was... A smart move, especially considering what they were throwing at us for the first film with how many characters there were to get to know. So you kind of knew um, Icarus was going to be a little bit impulsive and maybe a little too ambitious. And literally you, fly too close to the sun. <laughs> yep. You, kind, you, you got some vibes about potential story trajectories for each of these characters um, just based off of their names. So that was a really nice touch, I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting, um, and I, I guess I think your question kind of goes into a little bit of the idea of like the story structure and that their names seem to come from their experience throughout all of human history, kind of being involved in human history for 5,000 years, and their names are representative of the quote-unquote gods that they ended up representing to human beings, um, and I guess the most famous ones. And so I thought that was interesting, but I was actually also bothered by the story structure because we kept bouncing back and forth and these characters are meant to be there to make sure that the deviants aren't attacking humanity and they're not meant to interfere, but all they do is interfere. Like, They're literally living in Babylon with these people, like, showing them their powers, like, if it's nothing. And, like, I was really bothered by this because you get to that whole point, which was in the trailers, and which Cersei tells, you know, uh, Dane, which is, we aren't meant to interfere in human, uh, you know, conflict, except for when deviants are involved. And I'm like, I've seen these people interfere a lot. And it's like, if Thanos came on the scene, I can't imagine that at least two or three of them wouldn't have intervened. Like, I, the credulity make is gone when I've seen them interact this way throughout the entire, like, 5,000 years. So that when they make that excuse, it's like, this is the worst excuse in a movie I've ever heard for superpowered characters not intervening. Like... It's not a it's not a good enough reason. No, and especially not when they claim, well, most of them claim to so deeply love the human race that they are willing to sacrifice their own beliefs to save these people yes. against their own god or celestial's will and inhibiting the birth of a new celestial which I'm assuming has to be like the biggest no-no in the book if there is a book. <laughs> And and they're not going to help them when some guy with a gauntlet comes and snaps away half of humanity? Yeah. What? Hypocritical, <laughs> to say the least. What? <laughs> yeah, no, and I felt that way too, even when they, you know, have um, 
Druig and oh gosh, who is it? The um Makari is the speedy one. Um say mm-hmm. to each other, like, I won't tell if you don't tell. <laughs> of breaking the rules of interfering in things and then you know fastos Mm -hmm. is constantly giving them new technology and then being like oh crap see what they did with that you know so yeah no a thousand percent they gave us a paper thin excuse in the first place and then kept breaking their own rule repeatedly to the same results like i love fastos's character but you're really going to keep doing the same thing over and over when you can see plainly when humans are given things that are a little bit too big for them and a little too much freedom, they will make the wrong decision mm-hmm. every time. And then he's like, but maybe this time it's different. Oh, he's so hopeful <laughs> and it's so sweet. I mean, isn't that called crazy when you just keep doing the same thing over and over again? Expecting, and different, expecting results? Yeah, different results? Yeah, I, I actually think that that's a definition in a textbook somewhere. <laughs> Insanity. <laughs> textbook insanity um no i i 100 percent agree with you both and i think i guess you know when it, and it came down to the story structure when i'm thinking about the structure of the mcu in general i feel like this is one of the places where because of the way they created this movie and the story that they've created this is one of the places where I feel like Endgame should have been it. And this should have been like the, the beginning of the new Marvel Universe so that we don't have all that baggage. Mm-hmm. And you can just create something new, right? And instead, though, I have 20-some-odd films worth of baggage And we're trying to cram this into a backpack that's already chocked full and there's no room and it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many Marvel fans really haven't responded to this movie in the way, you know, Marvel hoped they would um, and why critics haven't either. It just because it doesn't really seem to fit in the mold that has been created. And I don't mean that in the sense that, you know, Chloe Zhao trying, you know, different thematic elements or shot compositions or any of that kind of stuff. What I'm just saying is like specifically just story. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. Like I, you know, obviously love when Marvel, when Marvel really tries something different in the sense that like my favorite MCU movie still is, the Winter Soldier, and that movie is probably the most different of all of them in the sense of, like, it's very serious. It's very down-to-earth. It's very raw, you know, and it feels like a 70s spy thriller. It doesn't really have a ton of the Marvel tropes in it. You know, it, it's more its own thing. I love that. I love when they took those those risks. Here, it's not about them, like, taking risks. It's just about the fact that the story itself just feels like you know like you're square peg in a round hole yeah there you go well and i think that part of that problem is is they're not trying to make the eternals fit they're trying to fit the entire mcu between the beginning and the end of the eternals Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. this is supposed to predate and then bookend it and it's a really messy sandwich (laughs) 
You got all the good one-liners well, tonight. No, oh my gosh. Um, you say that, Amanda, but I think, you know, they also tried the same thing with Black Widow. Yeah. Where Black Widow, they're trying to create this like weird sandwich where this movie is supposed to have taken place at a, a, a previous time. And yet, you know, in that movie, the character's already dead. You've already seen her arc play out. This doesn't really add that much to the character that much. And so it's just like, the whole point of that movie yeah. was to introduce us to the replacement yeah. and not, and it's not. And so this is the same type of thing. It's like, they're, they're trying to add something. It's like if you had a sandwich that was already perfect and then somebody decides to smother it in tartar sauce, <laughs> you're like, I don't need tartar sauce on my already perfect sandwich, mainly because there's no fish in this sandwich. <laughs> it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Why would you do that? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'll add to that as well. I think that Marvel also got us used to usually starting off with, like you were saying, Matt, a, a solo character movie and then later bringing them all together so that you had time to get to know each individual storyline before they gave you the ensemble movie. Whereas here, we're starting with the ensemble and then going to divvy up into individual characters. And probably not all of these are going to get their own movie and shouldn't, um, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, it, they did nothing. Fizzle. They did nothing with Makari. And that's a missed opportunity because yeah. she's such a cool character. Yeah. I mean... That was She's lame. like the Marvel version of the Flash. It would have been really awesome, and I'm really bummed that they didn't do more with her, to be honest. And Chrissy, you make a great point in the sense that, like, you know, I think a lot of people had that kind of same criticism when Joss Whedon's Justice League came out, right? And then, of course, everybody sees Zack Snyder's Justice League, and you're like, oh, well, like, you can do this if you do it right, and, like, you have four hours to tell a story. You know, you can... You could do this type of thing, but here, like, you literally would have needed, like, four hours to try and introduce ten characters and have 5,000 years of history, and, like, yeah. you you just can't do it in this format, and I think, you know, I think that there is a really, you know, there's an interesting question in the movie about free will versus determinism, and, you know, like, the Celestials... And the Eternals, can they have free will? You know, do do the people on Earth get to have a say on whether or not they're sacrificed on the altar of the greater good? Is there another way to birth in a, a celestial, possibly, without destroying a planet? Like, is it really has, the greater good? Is it really the greater good? And well, and this is this is the thing I think. <laughs> this question really bothered me because. The way they set up the Marvel Universe here in this movie is that it is, quote-unquote, the greater good because the system continues. But the system it's set up is, like, so sad, right? Like, yeah, we have to sacrifice billions of people so quadrillions, I guess, in the galaxy can continue to expand and grow and whatever. It's like, this again, it's a really crummy system with terrible gods that have created a terrible system. And in in the end, like, there is no, for them, free will. It is all just determined in the sense that the determinism is the system must continue. 
And it's just, I don't, I was really bothered by the whole thing because it seemed so fatalistic and hopeless. Because by stopping this, have the Eternals actually stopped the thing that will, in the end, billions of years from now, destroy the entire universe because we're not allowing this system to continue. And it's just like, I, all these type of questions, and, and that's where it's like, to me, the Marvel Universe is is not large enough to hold the questions of existence. It's not a philosophy class. It's not a religion. <laughs> it's a comic book series. Well, and a, and a group of films. And the way that they always told those kind of questions before, or those kind of stories, was from a person's perspective. Yes. So you know you can like Captain America. Exactly. Or you can Iron talk Man about or, yeah. existential things when it's coming from Captain America. But when it's just posed mm-hmm. out there in the universe, it's like Amanda was saying, like completely lacking the heartbeat. The reason that you care about the existential question is things that exist. <laughs> well, and they don't really give you much reason to care what does or doesn't happen to the celestials at the end of the day either. Because mm-hmm. the only two we've met suck. Yeah. <laughs> They're terrible. They're both awful. I mean, we met the one just Star Lord's. Star-Lord's dad, Ego, and he was just a menace. And then we get big megaphone face. Yeah, yeah, he looked like he was a microphone. <laughs> it looked like an old school boombox with like all the... Yeah, yeah. yeah I was not... He plays I, great music. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to one of his raves, but <laughs> as a huge. god, 10 out of 10 would not recommend. <laughs> I 100% agree. Well, and that is an interesting question in this movie, which I did, there was not enough focus on, which is, what is your faith in, right? Like, mm-hmm. because we see these Eternals have their faith in these Celestials, especially, you know, for the most of the movie, Ajax does. We obviously see that Icarus does. Kingo does as well. You know, they have this firm belief that these celestials know what is best, even if they know the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Like that this is this is the way. But it was really interesting because the 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 base question that doesn't really get dealt with it is: Is it worthy of having your faith in? Like that is a massive human question, which is why we have religions, why we have philosophy classes. What do we put our faith in, and why? And again, this movie has no way, and the MCU absolutely has no way to answer these type of questions because it's a film series. It's not a religion. Yeah, I think that the goal question of this whole film was a stretch and a little bit of an unattainable goal, Mm -hmm. if if I'm going to be honest about it. Um, And you don't care about anyone enough to be invested in whether or not they truly believe these things or that the celestials are good or bad or benevolent or what have you, you don't have enough time with them, with any of them. You don't really care about what was supposed to be the initial bad guy, which wasn't, um, which was Crow Mm -hmm. and all of the deviants. Like I I really didn't feel that was his name. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay, Crow, I didn't know that. I didn't remember played that. Played by Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. So another big name that like you had next to no time mm-hmm. with. It was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I, I didn't feel anything about the big bad guys in the film. Um, there were moments of connectivity with the Eternals. I will give it that. Um, I, I really did like some of the characters and I hope, I really sincerely hope, because I want to like where this is going to go, that they do better by these characters and they give more deserved time independently with each of mm-hmm. them so that maybe you can care about this story trajectory a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see myself caring about the Celestials at any point. Yeah. I, I feel like they're terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I don't know, obviously I guess none of us know because we haven't read the Eternals comics, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know if the comics address the questions of this magnitude um, as well, but at least where they're trying to do it in the movie, you're right. I mean, it just doesn't have enough behind it to make you want to care about it. And then also, like you said, Matt, like it's just, it's too much to try and cram into a movie. And when you detach it completely from any reason to care, then you've done yourself in another time, you know, I mean, it, it you just mm-hmm. don't have any human element to it that makes you care more and have that emotion, have that connection. Yeah. And there's an interesting thing that, so like in the DC films that they had done, they specifically asked questions like, okay, so what, would the world be like if Superman actually existed in our world, right? So we start with us Mm -hmm. in that way. You know, the Marvel Universe starts with Iron Man, and it's like, what would our universe be like if these type of characters existed? And and it's, But again, it starts off at a very, very human level from a very human place. Like, they're just human beings who happen to have discovered really cool technology. And... um. And even as we traverse the universe and get to other places, it's like, okay, well, it feels like Star Trek and aliens and those kind of things like that we've seen before. And then again, when you get to this metaphysical level, we're not in a, because we've started with us in a world that feels familiar, we're not ready or willing, I think, I think most people aren't willing to get to a metaphysical level with the MCU. And so, I mean, you know, Chrissy, we talked about Loki, and even there, we're talking on a metaphysical level, but about different realities, not like religious type of iconography and ideas, you know, and that's the thing that I think, again, just, just doesn't work here, and I guess, so... We could probably continue on that discussion because that's what there's so much about this movie in there. And we really could probably go on for another 20 <laughs> minutes just talking about that idea. Yeah. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about because obviously it's a Marvel movie and we've got Chloe Zhao here who's an Academy Award winning director. And so for you both, how did the action and the effects work in this film? Um, because obviously that's a huge part of any superhero movie. Um. 
I honestly, I know it wasn't as action-packed as people walk into a Marvel movie expecting it to be. Like it, it wasn't as much flash and bang, but I really enjoyed it. I thought visually this was a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. Like I, I thought there were some really great shots. Um, it was a lot more gentle action than we're used to. Um, I did feel like that gut wrenching moment when Icarus betrayed Ajax and Chuckter. And that was a very visceral moment, I thought. Um, so I, I thought they did a good job with that. Yeah. But you, Christy. Yeah, I would say um, there's some moments that I really thought were done well, um, like that one. Um, I definitely also felt the weight of the scene where um, Crow, I think you said was his name, attacks uh, Gilgamesh. And we see, you know, him dying and everything that that scene was really good. Um, And then, like I was saying, too, with um, Fastos, I thought that his action scenes and um, emotion were really good. But I think um, I was expecting more just because we're used to things like Avengers and then seeing another team up Mm -hmm. Marvel movie, you're thinking there's going to be something more for them to do. It's a lot of talking. Um. But I do think, you know, like you said, that it it was beautifully shot. I thought the effects were really good. Like, I liked the look of the Deviants, even though they didn't get a really fleshed out story. <laughs> they didn't really feel like that much of a threat. Um, it, <laughs> they were pretty looking. Um, it was a cool character design. And um, and I liked the the powers that each of the Eternals had and how they illustrated them. Um, the only one that I felt looked kind of lame was Kingo's power because he's got like finger guns. <laughs> he's literally got finger guns. <laughs> it just looks silly. Pew, 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 pew. I think that was meant to look silly though. Cause he as a character is kind of the silly yeah. guy. He He's a little bit of the fool in a lot of it. And- but like so. I don't know, I kind of feel like also casting Camille, who's known as a silly actor, in that role just didn't help it. And I <laughs> love him as an actor. I just think that it's like you're making him a one note actor, and he can probably do a lot more. I mean, he can. You know, he's been in movies that I've seen him in where he legitimately is got a lot of range, and so yeah. I think this movie is a tale of two different sides of things. Um, Two different coins, honestly. One is the one where Chloe Zhao does what she does really well, which is shot composition and look and feel. And the other is where you try to jam in Marvel action into that. And the two don't really mix because you can tell the scenes that are composited and created through CGI. And you can also tell the ones where it's just her and the camera creating a moment, like on the beach at the end. Mm. And those are the things that work really well in this movie. And the rest of it just looks like kind of generic, everyday, run-of-the-mill CGI work that you'd see in any movie. And, you know, I mean, I've seen all of these type of superhero powers before. 
Zack Snyder's Justice League, mm-hmm. you know, or in other movies, you know, um, that have flying characters and have super fast characters. Also so, have a Cyclops. Like, even, yeah. I've also seen that in like a, a Marvel movie, you know, like uh, you think of the X-Men movies where you have Quicksilver, you know, like you've seen these type of things before. So there's nothing new or revolutionary or any, it's just, it's, it's disappointing because I don't know if Chloe was really the right person to choose to do this. I think what you need is an, a director who is more in the line of, like, obviously the Russo brothers have done a great job, you know, creating incredible set pieces and everything, but at the same time creating their own feel, like with, uh, you know, Winter Soldier. Or you had, like, John Favreau at the beginning with Iron Man really creating a very down-to-earth, realistic feel I mean, like, you have all these different directors that come in, and I I just don't know if this was the right choice for this, uh, you know, um, not to take anything away from the the beauty of some of these shots, which I really liked, but the rest of the movie, I I kind of hate to say this, but I was pretty bored in this film. Um, I just, and part of it was all the things we've talked about, where, like, story-wise, it's not worth it working character wise it's not working and then there's just not anything that's like super visually interesting in the film happening Mm -hmm. in the sense of like i'm not being blown away because i feel like anything that they've done i've already kind of seen before in another film so it's like when all of that's not working you failed your highness (laughs) Uh, you know and you are not a Marvel movie like my father was before me. You know, like this is this is just I don't know. It's disappointing. So, um which leads me and I love that you brought this up, Amanda, which is that we have the same composer here who had worked on Game of Thrones. Absolutely phenomenal work in Game of Thrones. Like like I love his soundtracks mm-hmm. for Game of Thrones. They're they're just fantastic. So, um, what did you think of the score then for Eternals? I couldn't recall one song that I really remember the sound of. Yep. Same for me. <laughs> Which was so devastating because, uh, like, I love his work in Game of Thrones. I went and saw them in concert when they came through Chicago. And yeah, I I don't know if he was just uninspired or if it's reflective of the script that he was given to read and, you know, what he was working off of. But I mean, it wasn't bad, but I don't remember anything. Right. Like there's no one theme you could pick out for a certain character that blew you away or that stuck with you as a an emotional heartstring pulling song or anything like that it just it's no nope. i don't even remember there being music to be honest yeah. same for me matt i um <laughs> you know i i ha- i've been, i've listened to the soundtrack outside of the movie and it's not terrible but honestly like like you amanda i don't really remember there being music in the film you know, and I think, you know, Christy, obviously you and I just talked about Dune where the soundtrack is another member of the cast, basically, oh, yeah. in the way that it, it it 
it creates itself uh as like it's indistinguishable you you couldn't have the soundtrack not be in the movie and this movie doesn't have that it's like it just feels like kind of like blase soundtracky type music that's vaguely superheroish maybe on another planet but here it there's nothing special to it and that's disappointing and mainly because like you know you have this incredible cast and like these characters come from outer space and like you had the opportunity when you're doing a crawl to make it star warsy i guess and at least give us something to feel and like i think this is another place where it feels too indie-ish in a in its movie uh, approach like you know again chloe Zhao is more of an indie filmmaker and this soundtrack feels like it's more in line with an indie film and you know, talking maybe with, that's a little too chill. Yeah, a little too chill. I love that. It's a great way to put it, Amanda. I hundred <laughs> percent agree with you. And and part of that has been I mean, you know, John and I on a assembling Avengers, we're talking through these films. We're in we just finished phase one and in many ways a lot of the soundtracks have just not been great. Uh, until you got to like Captain America and then the Avengers where you had recognizable themes and stuff. And you know, it's been something that has actually just continued throughout much of the Marvel universe um, as they move forward. So this is disappointing, I think, again. Um, yeah. Yeah. We should talk about some end credit sequences before we get out of here. Um, because we have two end credit sequences. And one involves a character who I couldn't believe was in this movie until, of course, the end when I realized, oh, they're setting him up for something else. Of course... Kit Harrington is Jon Snow, and that's what I always love him as. Um, but this idea that he's going to be this character, Black Knight, possibly, and a voice that I don't know if you guys recognize who that's going to be in the Marvel Universe. But I was like, that was more exciting than all of the rest of Eternals. I didn't recognize it. Who was it? So it's... um. I don't know how you say his name. I think it's Mayala something, and he's going to be Blade. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So they're wait, bringing, wait, wait. We're getting a vampire. Uh, a vampire. Yes, Blade will be oh! a part of the Marvel universe again. Um, not Wesley Snipes, but a new version. So yes, but so I mean, I was like, but that was kind of more exciting than the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was really happy about it, to be honest. I like the way that they introduce it. I mean, it, it's definitely interesting that the way they have him, or I mean, they don't have him, the way that Kit Harrington performed the scene um, of, you know, backing away from the box and then going back to it and then the whisper of the sword, supposedly, um, you know, leading to there being something sinister about it. Um, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's another place where, like, I don't really know anything about the character other than a little bit I've read online, and the sword apparently can, like, cause somebody to turn bad, you know? so It like, has a curse. You know, it, yeah, it has a oh, curse, so no. picking it up is not a great idea unless you're willing to stay to fight against the power that's in the sword, but it also gives you power. So anyway, that should be interesting. So our second stinger uh is one that introduces us to thanos's brother and his sidekick 
Patton Harry Oswald. Styles. I mean, Pip. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was so funny because Amanda <sighs> actually sent me a message and said, Harry Styles, why? <laughs> I, I, I'm still not fully recovered from that moment, to be honest. It, why? Well, you know. Why is he in a Marvel movie? Because he did Dunkirk, so now he's an amazing actor. He's a British pop singer. Yeah, you are correct. I... <laughs> But, you know, I forgot that he was in Dunkirk and, and I didn't know he that he was Dunkirk? a pop singer because I, I don't really pay attention to that kind of thing because, you know, I'm in my 40s and, and a man, you don't listen so. to boy bands. No, and I he's don't. most famous for like breaking up with Taylor Swift at one point. Which, what an idiot. Yeah. But I know. Seriously, I, you know. though, yeah, I, I am with you, Amanda, also that I don't understand this because purely we all know he was cast in this role because he's famous it they just wanted to capitalize on the fact that he's really hot right now in general in in yeah. pop culture and and it just <laughs> feels you feel that and you're going no like you need someone who's really gonna embody a character and become someone that's gonna be a recurring possible mm -hmm. role not mm -hmm. someone who this is literally like his second acting job ever. Yeah. Dunkirk was the first. And, mm -hmm. uh, and he didn't even do much in Dunkirk. I don't even remember him being in Dunkirk. I didn't know he was in that until you just said it. He two was the bad ago. guy. I don't remember him. Yeah, that's yeah. like in the early 2000s being like, let's put Joey Fatone in a yeah, film. Exactly. Oh, no. Didn't yeah. they put Lance Bass in know. a film? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it's gonna they be like from did. Justin to exactly. Kelly, or or um, oh. Britney Spears <laughs> and Crossroads. Yeah, that's what Michael said. Actually, I just <laughs> I just threw up in my mouth yeah. a little bit. But I will say so. the one thing that I thought was really funny about that, or I guess funny ironic, was I was telling Matt earlier. Of course, they cast the boy band heartthrob as the god of erotic love, Eros. Come on, that's funny. Yeah, I he's like, I I don't get the whole fangirling over him fascination thing personally. Mm -hmm. But that's just because you but married your own dream boat. So, I you know. sure did. <laughs> <laughs> but man, even I can like work up a little bit of saliva over Kit Harrington. This guy, I'm just like, I don't understand what's I, happening. Here. Absolutely, I get it. I mean, Kit Harrington. Whew, mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. Can somebody get me a tissue? It's getting warm in here. Um. Anyway. <laughs> uh. Wow. No, I agree with you both. I, I couldn't have said it better. I, you know. Um, and Pip was really weird. I, yeah. One, the effects on him were terrible. Yes. Like, absolutely yeah. terrible. I mean, it looked like it came, They it was the, something from a video game movie that they pulled out like five seconds ago that they worked on for like two seconds. It looked awful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, you know, you know, um, Instagram stories. Mm -hmm. It looks like those little stickers that you can put on top of your story. Yeah, that move. yeah there you go. Oh yeah. Thank so, you. Copy Thank you. and paste. I will throw in here too. If you really want to crack up, read the whole backstory that is Eros slash Star Fox, Pip the Troll and Star Fox's girlfriend, Heater Delight. No. Wait. Are are you serious? I am. That is her name. Heater Delight. Heater Delight. Heater Heater Delight. 
I'm like, who no. wrote this? <laughs> hmm. What's well, wrong with you? Um, now I just feel like I want some Turkish delight. <laughs> but anyway, uh, before we go completely insane, uh, I am wondering if you guys out of five had to rate the Eternals, what would you rate it? Two and a half, three. I was. I went to the movies to be entertained. I watched it. I was entertained. Was it my favorite Marvel film I've ever seen? No. Is it top five Marvel films? Definitely not. But I mean, I'm open to what comes next from it. So that's not a total fail, right? I feel like you're like, was it a movie? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did I go and have a really lovely date night? It was great. Was the date night better than the movie? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, I think we're probably all on the same page, but, you know, I don't want to speak <laughs> for everyone. Um, yeah, I felt like it, it had its moments, but there were so many things that you're just like, if this had just been done differently, if this had just been done differently, and then you put them all together, and it is, it's a big messy sandwich. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I give it a two out of five um, Pip the Trolls Ugh. because it was just had some weird stuff going on with this movie and, you know, a lot of things that I would have changed. But I'm I'm also a little bit nervous now that this is the stepping off point for the rest of them. I hope that we get a Black Knight movie and it's really good. Yeah, maybe they're going to stick the landing. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I mean, not this landing, another landing. <laughs> no, another but, landing. You know, there's a movie that has been at the bottom of the Marvel list for me ever since it came out. And uh, John and I are going to be talking about that movie uh, in a couple of weeks on Assembling Avengers, so I don't want to give that away. But if you listen to that show, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But it's literally been at the bottom of my Marvel list's for a long time. This movie, I haven't rewatched that movie yet for Assembling Avengers. I might do that tonight. And this movie could possibly overtake that as the worst Marvel movie of them all. Because I would say that this movie is a one and a half to two star film. Ouch. Um, It's not a good movie. Mm-hmm. And and part of that is I think, you know, as we talk through every single thing about this movie, it was failing on all of those levels. And if a movie fails on all those levels, it's just failed. And whereas some of it was a little bit pretty, that doesn't make for a movie that's good or worth watching or, you know... I, most Marvel movies are at least mildly entertaining even if they're not great. And there was nothing really entertaining about this film. So I'll give it a two. But there's a good chance that if I ever rewatch this movie, it'll be a one and a half. So I was very... I, I, I have not come out of a film like this, just like deflated and like, oh, what was that in so long? And uh, this was that film. So, 
yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, what we have coming up next for Marvel will be better. You know, we have Spider-Man No Way Home coming up there at, in December. And so high hopes for that, obviously, with everything that looks to be pretty cool with that movie. And, you know, um, so anyway, but it's time for some recommendations. So hopefully we can recommend some great things for people to check out. And so, Amanda, since you're our guest, what would you like to recommend to all the listeners this week? Well, I am going to recommend my all-time favorite feel-good fantasy movie that will, in my personal opinion, it's the most quotable movie of all time. And I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for that, but please go watch The Princess Bride if you haven't. And if you have, go watch it again. Give yourself a little joy. It's such a fun movie. I love it. And after uh, Eternals, you probably need some joy. So go watch. Yeah. And, you know, I totally missed an opportunity. I still am kicking myself for not saying that quote at your wedding. I know. You did not do it. I was so worried about, I was fumbling with my little booklet. Which quote? the scriptures in it. Mowage. Mowage. Mowage is what brings us together. Like, there's so many quotable lines. I didn't know which one you wanted to pick. The entire film is a quote. That's true. That's true. Anyway. Uh, Yeah. Good recommendation. I agree with that. Uh, I'm actually going to come out with something a little bit new and um, going to say that I recently got into watching anime for the first time ever because my husband got me to go check out Anime Weekend Atlanta, the convention. Um, And we attended a panel called Gundam 101. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's in my head. I compare it to like they look kind of like Transformers. They're mecha suits things but anyway so i learned more about it and got started watching a show called mobile suit gundam wing which is a good jumping off point i was told and really have enjoyed it so um it's actually from the year of 1995 but um i think it's now all on hulu and it's got good music and it's an interesting story and it's not um all sad all the time like some of the other anime that i just couldn't get into so i recommend (laughs) checking out some anime if you haven't and maybe checking out mobile suit Gundam wing. Nice. Nice. That's super exciting. So, um, well, I am going to recommend to all the listeners. Uh, I am wrapping up the James Bond archives and, uh, it's by a friend of mine, uh, Paul Duncan. Uh, we know each other cause I interviewed him about his star Wars archives books uh, and this is phenomenal. It goes through every single of uh, the every single one of the James Bond films, all twenty five of the Eon productions, as well as uh, the original Casino Royale that was done, kind of the parody film, as well as Never Say Never Again. So there's twenty seven different movies in here that he walks through. It is a massive book, and I, when I say massive, I literally mean massive. It's it's like a fifteen pound book. Um, you could do curls with it, but it's so good. I'm loving reading it. And he's actually going to be on the show next week. I'm interviewing him about, uh, the book for the 602 club. So I hope that people will check it out. It's, it's an expensive book, but it's totally worth it. I mean, and I, I do mean expensive, like it's not a cheap book, uh, but it's worth having, especially if you are a James Bond fan, this is the book that you want to have, um, Besides the behind the scenes stuff that's in the book, the pictures that are in the book, 
uh, you know, some that have never been seen before. So cool. So I would highly encourage you to check out the James Bond archives. And this is the No Time to Die edition. So it includes Daniel Craig's final film. Uh, it's fan- fantastic. But Amanda, I've been hearing about you for a long time now, and I'm <laughs> so glad that we finally got a chance to meet and you were in the 602 Club. So we hope that you'll want to come back and join Christy and I for other adventures. But if people want to you know, follow you and see what else that you've got going on, where can they find you? Let's see. I am on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok all under the handle at Twin Sons Amanda. Actually, the um, TikTok is at Twin Sons Amanda and Eric because we share that one. But yeah, you can find me there on all those platforms and also on Sabres and Spells when Christy and I reboot that because we've been on a bit of a hiatus due to, um, you know, that wedding thing. Um yeah. Just that, no it's this tiny little like minor hiccup in life. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and honeymoon twice to Disney. Oh, I'm so jealous. There was one honeymoon and then there was one, oh hey, my parents had extra time share time and we had two extra days of PTO, so why not? <laughs> so cool. I was very lucky. Yes, you were, but that's okay. So, uh, yeah, you can find me also at Bespin Bell, of course, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, then sometimes on the Babel Conference. And you can also find Amanda and I both, like she said, on our show, Sabres and Spells, when we finally post our next episode again. I know we've been saying we were going to cover Labyrinth for a while now, but we really will. (laughs) It's going to happen, guys. I promise. (laughs) So check us out at Sabres and Spells as well. And, uh, of course, you could find me all over the place on social media under MattRushing02. Uh, and then, of course, here on the network, you could find me in the 602 Club feed doing Snyder Cuts with John, where we've talked about everything that Zack Snyder directed, as well as, of course, Assembling Avengers we've mentioned as we're walking through all of the Marvel films again, kind of away from the hype and just trying to evaluate the movies as they hold up now. Uh, you can also find me uh, doing The Orb, Warp 5 and Literary Treks. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. And then Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. I have a couple of shows over on the Nerd Party Network. One is finished called Owlpost. Did that with Drea Kaufman. It was all about Harry Potter. We walked through every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then you could find John and I also doing aggressive negotiations which is a star wars show and so if you love star wars that is definitely the place for you so as always though thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear. here